0: All right. So this morning, as Andrew just mentioned, uh, John Turner uh, is going to be preaching the word for, he's going to be bringing the word for the first time here at Pillar San Antonio. Uh, so we're excited to have John uh, preaching this morning. And then there we go. We can give John an applause. So for those who are not aware, John was recently nominated as an elder candidate uh, here at Pillar San Antonio. So uh, our church is led by a plurality of elders or pastors, elder, pastors, same thing. So we have multiple pastors here at Pillar San Antonio, and we do that because that's the pattern that we see in the New Testament. Uh, every time the New Testament describes elders or pastors functioning in the church, it speaks about pastors or elders in the plural. And not only is it the regular pattern in the New Testament, uh, we also believe it's just prudent and wise to have a multitude of counselors uh, to be able to share the load of shepherding. It would be very difficult for one pastor to adequately shepherd the entire flock by himself. And so God has gifted us with a lot of godly men who are able to teach and preach the word here. Right now we have three pastors, myself and Andrew and Keith, who's not here uh, and then Lord willing, at our next members meeting in August, John is going to be voted in by the congregation as the fourth elder. And so, um, uh, and, and honestly, like it's been a blessing to me to have this many men who can teach and preach the word because I've been able to take the entire month of July off from preaching as I've been preparing for our next two sermon series. In uh, three weeks, we're going to be starting a series on God and evil and If God is sovereign and good, then why does evil exist? And why does he allow it in the lives of his people? And why does he allow suffering in the lives of his people? Some of the biggest questions in life, and we're going to be tackling those head on by looking at the book of Job. And so that's going to be starting on August the 13th. So uh, be praying for me as I continue to prepare for that. But it's been a blessing to take some time off in July uh, to study the book of Job and really dig in and get prepared for that series. Um, So for John, uh, I just want to encourage you Uh, pray for him. We're going to pray for him in just a second here, but continue to pray for him over the next few weeks uh, as he continues to go through elder training, uh, watch his life, um, and uh, get to know him. If you haven't gotten to spend time with he and Angie and his family, I'd encourage you to do that, uh, especially if you're a member of the church, uh, because Lord willing, pretty soon he's going to be one of our pastors. Uh, So let me pray for him, and then he's going to come up and bring the word. Father, I thank you so much. For uh, John, I thank you for the gift that he is to this church, and I'm grateful that you have gifted and called him to teach and preach the word. And I pray now that as he comes up to do so, that he would not rely on his own strength, but that he would rely wholly on you, that he trusts in the sufficiency and in the power of your word to build up your church and to transform the hearts of the lost. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Yes, thank you very much. For the support, the encouragement, and the opportunity to come and preach today, God's word is an amazing privilege to be able to open God's word, expound it to you. I don't take it lightly. Um, God's called me to this. I've I've tried to pray my way out of it many times, but He continuously, <laughs> continuously, continuously brings me back to it and affirms the calling He's placed on my life. I have no ability in myself. I'm only able to come up here. And do what he's called me to do because he gives me the strength to do it. And if, any, if anything happens in your hearts today through this word, it's only because his Holy Spirit is going out in power, which I've prayed a lot for to happen uh, through this message this morning. So we're, we are finishing up Ephesians. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians 6. We're in the very last part there. And Andrew uh, did a great job of opening up this little last section where Paul starts with finally in verse 10. Finally. Um, some, some translations say in the meantime, maybe, um, which it could be either. Finally, and Paul Paul's concluding the letter. He's bringing it to all the things that he said in this letter to an end. And in this last section, he does an amazing job of taking a lot of words that he's used throughout the letter and just piling them up here in this last section. Words like truth and faith and salvation Uh, In other words, and he brings them all together in this one last part here, encouraging us and exhorting us to live in a day that's uh, evil, a day that's evil, uh, and it's kind of ruled in a way by an enemy that we can't see, an invisible enemy. Uh, A couple weeks ago, if you were here, Keith Manry, one of the other elders here, he had a sermon and he he opened by talking about an old TV show called Who's the Boss Uh, with Tony Danza right, in the, the mid 80s, late early 90s. Um, so a little bit before that, maybe like 81 to 83, there was another TV show about that time when I was about 10 years old. It was called America's Greatest Hero, uh, or Greatest American Hero, I think is what it was called. But basically it was about this guy who was a high school uh, teacher, and one day he's out on a field trip and he receives this, this uh, super supersuit from these aliens. And as a 10-year-old boy, my brother and I, we we loved that show. And my mom, actually, she made a, a super suit for us. And we wore all the time and tried to be the America, greatest American hero. Anyway, he, he gets this super suit from these aliens. And uh, they give him a, an instruction book for it. And they tell him he's to use the suit to fight evil and conquer uh, crime and injustice in the world. And then they leave. And uh, shortly after they leave, he loses the instruction book. So he he has no idea how to use the suit. He doesn't know what its capabilities are. He kind of figures out uh, how it works just by accident. And so he's constantly, he flies, he doesn't know how to land, so he's crashing a lot. Uh, He goes invisible and he doesn't realize he's invisible and those kinds of things. And so he has no way to talk to the aliens. Uh, and And it's, I'm thankful that God doesn't leave us that way, right? He doesn't leave us that way. He gives us armor, he tells us to put on that armor, and then he describes it for us here in Ephesians 6. And he doesn't uh, leave us with a way not to communicate with him, but he gives us a way to communicate with him, to call out to him when we need his help. So, uh, we've been strengthened, like Andrew said last week, if you look at verse 10, and we're, we're called to be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And how are we to do that? By putting on and taking up God's armor. Verse 11 and 13. And why do we need to do that? Well, so that we can stand firm. We can stand firm against the schemes of the devil, and we can stand firm in the evil day, against the satanic forces of darkness. So God not only gives it to us, but he describes it to us here. So we're going to look at verses 14 to 20 here in chapter 6. So if you can, follow along as I read. All right, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Please pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, uh, I am weak. We are weak vessels, Lord, and you ask us to do so many things, but you give us the strength and the ability to do them. And we just come before you now, Lord. I just pray that they would hear your words, not my words. My words have no power, Father, but your words go out with power through your Holy Spirit. Bring Bring your Holy Spirit here today, Lord, to stir our hearts, to move in our hearts, Father, that we may have a greater desire for you, a greater love for Jesus, a greater desire to want to obey your word this morning, to take up and put on the whole armor of God, Father, so we may stand firm against the schemes of the devil in this evil day. I pray these things, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right. So in this passage, if you know your Old Testament, there are some some pieces of armor that are talked about in there. Um, Just for example, in Isaiah 59, 17, uh, he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And there's some other weapons and armor that you can see in like Isaiah 11. And they're really describing God as a warrior. And then also the Messiah who comes as a conquering warrior, right? And Jesus has come and he's conquered. He conquered sin and death. He put uh, the, those invisible enemies that Paul's talking about here to shame by the cross, He's rescued his people from the power of sin and Satan and darkness. And so the question then is, if Jesus already conquered, I mean, what are we doing with armor, right? I mean, we're, we're called here to not go out and conquer. Jesus has already done that. But we're, we're called to stand firm, stand firm. So he has an offensive posture, and we have a defensive posture. So think about it this way, in terms of a battle. Think about Jesus. He goes forth, and the gospel goes forth, and as the light of the gospel goes forth into these dark places, it overcomes it. The darkness cannot overcome the light, can it? And he he overcomes this darkness, and then he has this territory that's been taken over. Every time, like we're planting a church here, right? Every time a church is planted, the light comes in, and it, it overcomes the darkness. And then there's a foothold that needs to that needs to be established there. We need to hold on to that area, to that territory that Jesus has conquered. Because those forces of darkness, right, Satan and his, uh, the evil uh, demons that are with him, they have been conquered. But it's almost like at the end of World War II where the war was ended, but the enemy just continued fighting in different spaces, right? They haven't given up. And they want to take that territory back. And so, at, like Jesus wears armor, when we put on Christ... Guess what what, what happens to us? We put on him, and we put on that same armor. And we're told to stand firm, to hold that territory, to keep those forces, those enemy forces who are coming in to try and take it over again. We're told to to hold firm and stand firm and to to keep them back, to battle them back. Well, how do we do that? Well, we we do that by uh, what Paul says, standing firm, right? So in our day, Christians, Paul wants us to know, is... We must stand firm against the schemes of the devil in the evil day by putting on the whole armor of God and remaining vigilant in prayer. By putting on the whole armor of God and remaining vigilant in prayer. So the first point really is in order to stand firm, we must put on the whole armor of God. This is God's armor that he's given to us, right? And And it's meant to help us in this spiritual battle. These are supernatural beings that we're talking about here. We need supernatural help. We need divine help if we're going to be able to stand firm. So the first uh, piece of armor that Paul talks about here, there's six of them, is in verse 14. He says, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. So uh, in the Old Testament, there is armor talked about, but Paul's also talking really about a Roman soldier, right? And everybody in his day would know what that looks like because Roman soldiers were everywhere. They had taken over a lot of territory, and they were able to hold that territory, right? And so one of the foundational pieces of armor on a Roman soldier was his belt. And it wasn't like a belt I'm wearing. It was kind of like a a belt, like an apron. It had leather that went around their thighs to protect their thighs. But it was foundational in the fact that it was uh, what everything else attached to. So the breastplate that we're going to talk about attached to it. Um, the sword also attached to it. And so he needed that belt. Uh, also, when he went into battle, they, there was a tunic that they wore underneath, and it would hang freely. But if you're in combat, you know you don't want to have stuff hanging, right? Because then the, your enemy can grab it, pull on it. So the belt was a the way they would tuck it in and, and get that tunic out of the way so they're ready for combat. So Paul says really here, we're to wrap our waist in truth. Right, Truth is foundational, isn't it? It's foundational for everything. I mean, if we build our foundation on truth, then everything else will stand. But if we build our foundation on lies, then eventually, as the truth is revealed, what happens to that foundation? It just crumbles. It starts to fall apart. Uh, and there are two ways that we can look at this, this belt of truth that Paul is talking about. First is that uh, it's the truth that is in Jesus in Jesus himself. And Paul's already said this in Ephesians 4. We looked at this several weeks ago. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. The truth about who he is as God's son, as the Messiah. The truth about what he's done, living a perfect life here on earth when he came, dying on the cross for our sins, raised from the dead, overcoming sin and death. And when our foundation is built on Christ, it's built on an unbreakable foundation. An unbreakable foundation. But also as believers in Jesus Christ, we're to be truthful people. And Paul uh, had said that as also in, in, in Ephesians uh, 4. And this is really important for us to understand because our enemy, Satan, he's a liar, right? And Jesus had said uh, in John eight forty four 44, that Satan does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's a father of lies. So when we depart from the truth, what happens? We give Satan a foothold into the territory that we're trying to stand firm and defend. Therefore, Paul exhorted us back in Ephesians 4, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. So being truthful, it's foundational to being a Christian. Right? Well, the next piece of armor, he says, verse 14, is having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Attaches to that belt, that belt of truth. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. Two ways to look at righteousness. Of course, is the righteousness of Christ that becomes ours when we believe in Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, he takes on our sin we get his righteousness so we can stand before God justified in his presence. So like 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, to be so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we're called also to be righteous people, right? So like Paul says again in Ephesians 4, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're to lead righteous lives. Satan wants nothing more than to have us live unrighteous lives, doing unrighteous things, immoral things. And we're not, we're not good witnesses for Jesus when we're doing that. We're not uh, standing in his righteousness when we do those things. So we need to put on our breastplate that we're going to stand against him. The third is gospel shoes, right? He says in verse uh, 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So a Roman soldier had shoes uh, also, and this was probably one of the better pieces of equipment he had. Uh, They were these, these shoes that had metal studs on the bottom so that they had good traction and grip. And then they also had, they were reinforced with some cushions, so they were able to travel long distances in these shoes. And then they had these leather straps that kind of wrapped around their ankles and up their thighs. And so in both ways, that's what kind of how Paul's talking here about these shoes that we to just shot our feet with, with the gospel of peace, right? In terms of the gospel itself, we have, we have stability in the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? We're in Christ when we believe in Jesus Christ. And we have a, a firmness to it in terms of the peace now that we have with God through the gospel. And so we can stand firm in that peace. We're no longer enemies of God. We've been reconciled to him through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we can stand firm in that. But also, what? We're traveling. We're traveling to other territory that hasn't been conquered yet, and what are we traveling with? The gospel of peace. And we need to be ready to go out, like Jesus said in Matthew 28. We're to go and make disciples of all nations. Right? That's a part of going as you're going as you're going in your neighborhood, as you 're going in your workplace, as you 're going uh, out to the store, out to get your haircut, wherever you 're going, make disciples of all the nations right, wearing your gospel uh, feet, make peace. so I want you to notice something that Paul says about all three of these pieces here i don 't know if you noticed it, but look at what he says, verse fourteen again, having fastened on the belt of truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And then verse 15, having put on the readiness given by the gospel. It's kind of strange, right? I mean, he's, he's, in one sense, he said, put on the armor, God. And then in this sense, he's saying what? Having put on. Like you've already put it on. Well, which is it? Sounds like contradictory, right? Well, it, what we need to grasp is that there's this tension all throughout the Bible. This, this idea that uh, and it's not contradictory. I mean just as a real short example in Ephesians um, Paul has talked about putting off your old self. It's like Ephesians 4:22 to put off your old self. Like we need to do that, right? Which belongs to your former manner of life as corrupt through deceitful desires. But in the in a letter a couple of letters later in the New Testament in Colossians which is very similar to Ephesians, he says do not lie with one another, one another, Colossians 3, 9, seeing that you have put off the old self. You've already done it. So, I mean, what are we to do with this tension? Well, it's, it's, uh, we have put on the armor of God, but then God calls us to put it on because we're forgetful people, right? And think about it like somebody, um, you know, who has their glasses sitting on top of their head and they're walking around the house and they're like, have you seen my glasses? Have you seen them? And they're right up, yeah, they're right up on top of your head. We forget that we have them. Or somebody that is a good athlete, right? But they don't, they don't realize all the athletic ability they have. A good coach is one who comes along and pulls that out of them, gets them to see, yeah, you already, you have all athletic ability. And we have the armor of God. We, in one sense, we have put it on, but we need to appropriate it. We need to appropriate it take it in and say, we, yes, I have the armor of God. We tend to forget that we do. We, like Andrew said last week, we're united to Christ when we come to faith in him, but we forget that we're united to Christ, which is why Paul had to say in verse 11, be strengthened, right? Or, or verse 10, I'm sorry, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In one sense, we already are strengthened. And in another sense, we have to pray to be strengthened. And it's the same thing with God's armor. So maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, I, I'm not sure. I haven't believed in Jesus. I haven't believed in Jesus yet. So what about me in this, in this spiritual battle? I mean, I don't have the armor of God. Right? And and you don't. You don't have the armor of God yet. I mean, so maybe you're wondering what's going to happen in this spiritual battle. Well, in, in Acts 19, we kind of have a a a kind of look at what takes place when somebody doesn't have the armor of God. Uh, In Acts 19, Paul is in Ephesus, and he's going around preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, and he's able to perform some miracles that point to Jesus. And there are some others who notice what Paul's doing, and um, what they're doing is they're invoking the name of Jesus over those who have evil spirits. They're saying things like, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And there were seven sons of this Jewish high priest, Sceva, and they were doing this. But this, they come upon this evil spirit one day who's in this man, and the evil spirit says to them when they try to use the name of Jesus, he says, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Who are you? Right? And the, the evil spirit overpowers them, masters them all, beats the snot out of them, and sends them away naked, screaming, and this becomes known to all the residents in Ephesus. It becomes a big a big news story there between both the Jews and the Greeks and fear fell upon all of them in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we have no ability to take on the supernatural. We need supernatural help. So maybe that's you. You haven't believed in Jesus yet. Let me tell you really quickly how to do that. You have to first recognize that you're a sinner. See, all of us tend to believe that we're actually better than we are, right? We, we can conv- convince ourselves Now, we're better people than we really are. But but the thing is, we lie, we steal, we blaspheme the name of God. And because of that, we're sinners, and we stand guilty before God. And in the day of judgment, we'll be condemned to hell because of our sin. But God doesn't want us to go to hell, and that's the good news. He loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus down to earth. He lived the perfect life. And then he died on the cross, taking the penalty that we deserve for our sins. And then he was buried in a tomb. God raised him from the dead three days later to show that Jesus was who he said he was and to vindicate him from sin because he had no sin. And now God says, if you believe in Jesus, trusting in him that his death on the cross paid the penalty for your sins, then your sins can be forgiven. You will receive the Holy Spirit. And you'll be able to then obey God through the Holy Spirit and walk in the Holy Spirit and in Jesus and have a relationship, a restored relationship with God. You'll be a new creation in Christ Jesus. So if that if that's something that maybe now interests you, something that uh, you you really want to know more about, please come see me after the service. Talk to Jared, talk to Andrew. Uh, We would love to talk to you about faith in Jesus Christ. But when you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you can, you have that spiritual armor. Um, So some of the armor we have to put on. But Paul also has other pieces of armor, and he says we're to take them up. So look again, look at verse 16. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. There were two kind of shields. There was a little small round one, but then there was also this big one. It was about four feet long and about two and a half feet wide, and that's what's being talked about here. The word really uh, for this shield derives from the Greek word for door. It was that big. You could actually hide behind it. And so uh, Paul's talking about that shield. And what they would do is they would soak it in water because the enemy would use these arrows dipped in pitch and then light them on fire and shoot them at these shields because the shields are made of wood. And so uh, they'd soak them in water so that when the arrows hit, they'd just, poof, go out. And we're to take this shield When, where? and all circumstances, Paul says, all circumstances. So not just when we're struggling. I think that's how we kind of take this verse, right? We think fiery darts of the evil one. We think, oh, yeah, uh, I recognize those times. Those times of distress, those times of disappointment, those times of discouragement. I think we identify those times pretty easy. But here's what we're missing, I think. is It's it's all the darts of the evil one. All the darts. And what he really likes to do is he really likes to make us feel comfortable. Doesn't he? He likes it when we feel self-assured, when we feel self-reliant. Then we begin to trust in ourselves. He's got us right where he wants us. He strokes our egos so that our pride drives us to just trust in ourselves and no longer trust in God. Through Jesus Christ. Instead, um, in all our circumstances, we need the faith, uh, the the shield of faith. We need to have our faith in God. That it will give us the strength and wisdom and understanding that we need. Because we really, we don't have any. We don't have any. We're fooled into thinking we do, but we don't. So when we take up the shield of faith, it will, it will extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Uh, Tony Merida, he says that we need to to soak our shield in the gospel. Soak our shield in the gospel, reminding ourselves of our inadequacy, of our weaknesses, of our helplessness, and our neediness. So we soak our shield in the gospel to extinguish all of Satan's flaming darts. Then Paul says here in verse 17, he says, And take the helmet of salvation, take the helmet of salvation, Right? That helmet was made of bronze or iron. It was really hard. Like not even an axe or a sword could penetrate it. It was that hard. And it was, it had some cushion inside because it was really heavy. And so uh, when the soldier wore it, he was able to endure the weight of that helmet. I mean, knowing that we're redeemed, adopted, loved for all eternity in Christ, knowing that Uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus. How firm is our salvation? How hard is it? How strong is it? No attack of Satan can damage that. No, he is our accuser. His name means accuser. And what he wants to do is accuse us before God. Get us thinking and get doubts into our minds about our salvation. But we are so firm in Christ. We are in, Jesus says in John 10, we're in the Father's hand when we're in him, and we're in Jesus' hand. And nothing can pull us out of his hands. It's that firm. And we're to take the sword of the Spirit, right? And many have pointed out, this is the only offensive weapon that Paul talks about. But a sword can also be used for what? For defense, right? And it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that word... Used there is a kind of different word. Usually the the word we see uh, in English is logos in the Greek. But here is rhema, which is the spoken word of God. So I think of Jesus, right? When he's in Matthew 4, he's being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. What does he do? What does he do? He uses scripture, right? Satan comes to him. He says, hey, if you're the son of God, turn those stones into bread. Jesus is hungry. He's at the end of 40 days. He hasn't eaten. And Matthew even says and he was hungry. Turn those stones into bread. What does Jesus say? No! Shing! Deuteronomy 8.3 Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you're in the Son of God, throw yourself down, Satan says. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. No! Shing! Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Finally, Satan, he takes Jesus to this high mountain. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And what does Jesus do? Be gone, Satan! Deuteronomy 6.13, you didn't know you were going to get sound effects. Smarter, <laughs> you shall worship the Lord your God and with him only shall you serve. Right, so we use the sword for defense. We're, we use it to stand firm, we stand firm in the word. I mean, this is so much like uh, when I would deploy in the Air Force, uh, every time I got my deployment notice, one of the first things we had to do is we had to go over to this big warehouse, and then they'd just like load you down with gear. They'd give you a bag to put all the gear in, and then you'd take it overseas to a combat zone, right? Now, if I took all that gear, I just like left it zipped up in the bag, I probably more than likely, uh, as, as, you know, I believe that God protects us, he watches over us, but he doesn't want us to be foolish. He gave me gear to protect me, right? If I just left it in that bag, more than likely I would not be standing here preaching today. And so I had to take that gear on, I had to put it on. A lot of it resembled the Roman soldiers. I had a belt that my canteen clipped to, uh, my radio and other things, my ammunition, my weapon. Uh, I had body armor to protect me. I had a helmet to protect me. So I had a lot of equipment. Um, I had to use it. I had to put it on. And in the same way, God has given us this armor. And we need to do that. We can, we can fall in this trap of underestimating our appointment, our opponent. Uh, and think of Adam and Eve. They're in the Garden of Eden, right? They're in the most ideal conditions. The most ideal conditions. And they couldn't defend themselves against Satan's attacks, right? What makes us think that we can? He's, he's called the most crappiest creature that God created. We can't. We don't have the ability. We need God's armor if we're going to stand firm against the devil and his schemes in the evil day. So what I want you to do is this, okay? I want you to, when you get up in the morning, when you go to put your clothes on, which we all hopefully do, you putting your clothes on, I really want you to do this. I want you to think about the armor of God. Think about putting it on, right? So we don't forget that we have it. So we appropriate it to ourselves. Because like I said, in one sense, we have put it on. In another, we have to put it on. But as you're putting your clothes on, just think about putting on the armor of God, right? And go forth that day ready, now ready for uh, Satan and his schemes in the evil day. Well, the second point really here Paul wants us to get is that in order to stand firm, We must remain vigilant in prayer. I like what uh, John Piper, in one of his sermons, uh, he he says that prayer is like a walkie-talkie. You know, we're behind enemy lines, and God has given us a communication device to reach out to him for help and support. But instead, we sometimes use prayer like an intercom, right? Like calling the front desk in a hotel to get another pillow. So he says, I have often said that one of the reasons we feel so weak in our prayer lives is that we have tried to make a domestic intercom out of a wartime walkie-talkie. Prayer is not designed as an intercom between us and God to serve the domestic comforts of the saints. It's designed as a walkie-talkie for spiritual battlefields. It's the link between active soldiers and their command headquarters with its unlimited firepower and air cover and strategic wisdom. Have you ever thought about prayer that way, like a walkie-talkie? We have, we have been given the privilege of prayer in Christ, and we don't always use it the way that we should. And Paul knows how important prayer is. I mean, notice, look at uh, verse 18. Notice how many times he uses this word, all, right? Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I mean, he he recognizes uh, prayer is is really, really important. It kind of encompasses all of the armor in a way. So the first thing he really kind of talks is our posture, the posture we need to take in prayer, right? Look at verse 18 again. Praying at all times, all times. That is uh, kairos. So it it could be times or it could also be seasons. And when are we under attack? by these evil forces. When are they attempting to come in? Certain days, certain weekends, only on Sunday? No, no, all the time, all the time. So we need to be in praying at all times, Paul says. How are we to pray? How are we to pray? In the Spirit, in the Spirit. You know, Paul says in Romans 8, uh, that likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we come to praying, we don't always know how to pray. We don't know what we should pray for. We don't know what God's will is. And most of the cases when we're praying, right? We don't know what God's will is in a situation, but we want God's will to be done. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He makes sure that our prayers always accord with God's will. So we we need to be praying at all times in the Spirit. And what are we to pray? Well, with all prayer and supplication, he says prayer and supplication, petition, pleading with God. So all the various ways that God has given us to pray. Praying on our knees, coming before Him. Praying as a congregation. Uh, Praying alone, quietly. Um, during your private time with God. We just use all the various ways that he has given us to cry out to him. And what and what way are we to be praying? Keeping alert, right? To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. And this is probably the most important. Keep alert. Uh, because what happens when we're in a combat zone? I know that maybe none of you have ever been in a combat zone, but let me tell you what happens. Uh, when I went to Afghanistan, to Kabul, we went through a lot of training before we went. And one of the things that we were gonna be doing there was convoying. So I was at the airport, I was stationed at the Kabul airport, and uh, we had to convoy to NATO headquarters. And we did this quite often. So when we're in our training for convoying, um, they would tell us, you know, anything can be a roadside bomb, anything. Now in the training, it was almost too obvious sometimes what a roadside bomb was, right? And and any vehicle on the road with us could also be a bomb. And so as you're in training, you're like, oh, that's it, and we'd stop and we'd do our procedures. Well, then I get to Afghanistan, and let me tell you, like, there's trash everywhere in that country. And so, like, the first time we went, I mean, your head's on a swivel. I mean, I was exhausted when we got to the headquarters because any piece of trash, a Coke bottle on the side of the road, a, a box over here, Every car that passed us, you know, we're thinking, is it is it look too heavy? Does it look out of sorts? Is it leaking anything? You know, now after a month or more of doing that, nothing happened. What do you think happened? We started to kind of let our guard down a little bit, right? We we started to kind of be la- uh, a little lax in our procedures. Um, we didn't take the care that we needed to before we went. We started getting lulled into this. This sense of safety, and um, and there was a team, a, a team of seven guys in a logistics convoy. And about a month and a half after I was there, they went, and uh, and they died, and um, and it was very very hard. And after that, um, we our alert status went way up again. But man, Paul Paul says we need to remain alert, right? Because those attacks they come out of nowhere, they they were never expected. We're not going to expect them. When I, when I was there, I was, I was always trying to be ready. I was always trying to be prepared for something to happen because I was always expecting something to happen. Expecting it. It's kind of like Jesus, in, his, in the he's up in Gethsemane, and he's, uh, he goes out for prayer, he takes Peter, James, and John with him, and what does he tell them? Stay alert and pray. And and they do that, right? No. He walks off to pray, and what happens? They fall asleep. And he comes back, he kind of scolds them. You know, couldn't you stay awake a little bit, guys? And then he goes off again, and they fall asleep. And what happens to Peter uh, later that night? What happens to him? He's there. Here's big Peter. Yeah, I envision a big feeder, uh, fisherman, because he pulls his big... They had a fish on the beach later on in John's Gospel. This little girl, servant girl, comes to him. Hey, you're with him. You're, you sound like one of those Galileans. No, not me, right? <laughs> Denies him. I can't help but think it's because he wasn't praying. He didn't stay alert like Jesus told him to. The flesh is willing, right? Or the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak, Jesus tells him. Well, Peter, uh, Paul also tells us what the objects of our prayer should be here uh, in, in chapter 6. At the end of chapter of verse 18, he says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then verse 19, And also for me, that words may give, be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. So he wants us to pray for all the saints, right? All the saints. And in this letter, all the saints is all the saints. Right In chapter 2, we were dead in, in, our trust, in the trespasses and sins and once we once walked, but God in his great mercy has made us alive together in Christ. Right, And then later on in chapter 2, he talks about Jews and Gentiles, how God has brought us together in one new man, make, taking the two, making one new man in Christ, so that we're reconciled to each other in Christ and we're reconciled to God in Christ. And so we're to pray for each other because these yous in here, the yous in this passage, they're not yous singular. I know we look at this and we, we, we in America, we think individually, privately, right? But these are you alls. The expectation is we're going out as a, as a unit, a battle unit to hold this territory, not as each individual, but together. So what's affecting me is affecting you. And we really need to be praying for one another. Uh, praying these, these that uh, we can stand firm, that we would remember to put on our armor. Paul also wants us to pray for church leaders, right? He really wants prayer for himself. And uh, it's amazing to me what he asks for prayer. Considering his situation, where is Paul right now? He's in prison. He's an ambassador in chains, right? So you would think, what would he pray for? He's in prison. You'd think he'd pray for his freedom hey, pray that God would get me out of here. I'm in prison. I mean, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I need to get out there start some more churches, go and visit churches that God has, through his grace, enabled me to plant, and I want to strengthen them and continue to bring uh, the good news of Jesus to the place. No, he doesn't pray that at all, does he? What does he pray for? He prays for words, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth. That is amazing to me, right? Consider who Paul is. I mean, he, he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's seen the risen Christ. Uh, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Like, he knew the Old Testament better than a lot of people in his day. He had studied the scriptures, uh, he knew the Word of God. And he had been trained by Gamaliel, who was one of the top rabbis in his day. So, Paul is not relying on his own ability, is he? He is so cautious to not rely on his strength, on what he knows. He wants God's words. He wants God's words when he goes out there. He wants God's words when he speaks. I want God's words when I speak because I don't know anything. I have no ability in myself to do what God asked me to do. And I want God's words, too, just like Paul. But he wants to speak only God's words. What else does he pray for? He prays for boldness. I mean, read the book of Acts and the portions with Paul in it. Can you find somebody more bold for the gospel than Paul? And he wants boldness. Again, he doesn't want to rely on his own strength. He doesn't want to rely on his own courage, if he has any. He needs boldness from the Lord to go and do what he's being asked to do. Right now, he's in prison. He's shackled to an, a, a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. Does he see that as a problem? No. No, because if you read Philippians, every time uh, they would change shifts, what was Paul doing? He'd have a one guard chained to him. He's there. He's like, hey, have you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, no, I haven't. Well, let me tell you about him. And then that one unhitches un- from Paul. A new one comes in, connects to him. Hey, have you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, no, I haven't. And he tells it to him. He says in Philippians, so that the whole Praetorian guard has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he wanted to be bold in that. He's also going to get to speak to some Roman leaders. So it's a great opportunity for him to share the good news of Jesus with them. And he has to be bold in his witness for them. So he he needs boldness. And we need supernatural boldness too, don't we? I mean, we went out on Friday night. We went out to the duck pond. And we went and walked and uh, we were putting door hangers up and trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. And to be honest, I mean I was afraid to do that. I don't I didn't know what to say. And like one of the doors we came to, this gentleman answers the door and he has these dogs barking in the background. I'm trying my best to say something to him. He keeps looking at the dogs, he's looking at me, he's looking at the dog, and he's behind glass. So he's going, What? What? I don't want to yell at him, you know? And uh but I was afraid to do that. And I thought, you know, here I am. I'm like, why am I afraid? Because I'm trying to do it myself. And as we're walking to the next house, I'm praying. Okay, Lord. I mean, I've studied this passage all week. I know that Paul prays for boldness. Gosh, I need boldness. Give me boldness the next time I get to talk to somebody. And then we went to the house. We knocked on the door. No, no one answered. So we hung a door flyer. We went around to another house. And as we were going over there, the people who lived in the house, we just put the door hanger on, came into the driveway. And as Jared and um, Patrick walked up to the other door, I stayed and waited for them to get out of the car. And initially, they're kind of, the gentleman was kind of like, hey, boss, how's it going? You know, I said, hey, yeah, we're here. Um, we're, we're a church that's going to be new in your neighborhood. We're just saying hello to people. And we just want to pray for you. Is there anything we can pray for? And his wife was like, like we really need some prayer. And so we were able to, to to talk to them. We were able to pray with them. We were able to give them... Give them another flyer, invite them to church here on Sunday, and even when we moved to Stevens. So it was like I, I was able to speak clearly, not because of me, but because I believe because God gave me the boldness to speak to them and the words to say to them. We sow seeds, right? And God does the work, and He prepares the hearts, and He causes the growth. So, so what do we need to do, right? Well, like, like putting on our armor, you know, when you put on clothes every day? Try this. I want you to try this. Try talking to God about everything you're doing. Everything you're doing. Uh, In every situation you're in, every person you encounter, just go to God in prayer. It it doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out prayer. Just something quick. Lord, help me in this moment. I don't know what to say to this person, but you brought me in contact with them. It's not by accident. Just help me out. I don't know how to do this. I'm being asked to do this. I'm uncomfortable doing it. Give me the help that I need. Give me the strength to do it, Lord. Just try that. Just try talking to God about everything. So, in terms of this passage, um, John Stott, he writes a commentary on Ephesians. It's pretty good. But he had this statement I thought it was really important. He says, we need to accept the implications of this concluding passage of Paul's letter. It's a stirring call to battle. Do you not hear the bugle and the trumpet? We're being roused. We're being stimulated. We're being set upon our feet. Moreover, there will be no cessation of hostilities, not even a temporary truce, or ceasefire until the end of life or of history when the peace of heaven is attained. For the better manuscripts have an expression which should be translated not finally, introducing the conclusion, but henceforth. He's talking about in verse 10, the way it all starts in our English Bibles finally, meaning for the remaining time. If this is correct, then the apostles indicating that the whole of the interim period Between the Lord's two comings is to be characterized by conflict. Characterized by conflict. We are in a battle and we need to put away that, 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 uh, comfort and convenience that the world around us tells us that we should always have. We we need to recognize that the remaining, all of our remaining life in this sinful fallen world is a battle. Not a battle against flesh and blood, but against Satan and the powers of darkness. It's a battle against a power, a powerful foe. Who's invisible, an invisible enemy. We can't see it, but it's there. But it's a battle that God has equipped us for when we believe in Jesus Christ. It's a battle that God strengthens us for through his armor. It's a battle that God doesn't leave us to fight on our own, but he gives us the walkie-talkie of prayer to reach out to him at to- all times and pray for one another and our leaders in-, in the fight. God has graciously given us these things for the battle against the forces of darkness. We need to appropriate them. And take them and use them to hold the ground taken from Satan by the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we put on our clothes in the morning, put on the armor of God. Whenever you're doing anything or encounter anyone, pick up that walkie-talkie and pray to God. I'm going to pray for the the message, and then afterwards, uh, Jared's going to come up. He's going to lead us in the Lord's Supper, so please pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we need to appropriate the armor of God. We need to pick up our walkie-talkie and call to you for help. We need to be desperate. Make us desperate people, Lord. Not convinced that we know things, not convinced in our own abilities. Father, just let us be in weakness, helplessness, so that we put our faith and trust in you, through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the ways that you move in our lives, Lord. We thank you for uh, helping us to see this morning that we're in a battle. Let us be at alert. Let us persevere in all things, Lord God. And just remember, Father, that we can't fight this supernatural uh, with the natural. We need supernatural help. Father, I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for your word. I think the way that your Holy Spirit is working in our lives. Father, I just pray now as we go forth, Lord, that we could go forth as warriors for Christ. Father, encouraging one another, exhorting one another while still called today. And I praise you and I thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.